Let's stand together and take our Bibles and turn, if you would, now to the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Our title for the message is The Church That Cares. And if you're with us and don't have a Bible, you should have received the outline. And that has a lot of the verses as well uh, as the message itself so that you can follow along with us. And uh, you make sure that your friends and neighbors have that as well if they're visiting with us this morning. Philippians chapter 4. And I want to read beginning in verse number 10, actually, down through uh, verse number 19 for our text today as we prepare for a wonderful, wonderful victory next Sunday. Philippians 4:10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity, not that I speak in respect of want, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your infallible word and the promises found here. We ask that you would help us to learn them and to live them as a result of our time here this morning. We pray if there's someone here that has never been ransomed, they have never been purchased by your blood, that they would understand what that means, that they would be saved even today. And I pray and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sometimes in my more reflective moments, I step back and I think of what God has done in our church for these 38 years as we have seen Thousands of souls saved and baptized and a campus developed and schools developed. And I step back and I wonder, you know, what really is the reason that God has been so good to our church? For those of you that have been saved any length of time, the things that are happening here aren't really normal in every corner of the country. Even last year, sort of coming out of the COVID season, we saw several hundred people baptized and many, many people saved, and we give God the glory for that. And we know that much of why this takes place is because of the grace of God. It's certainly His Spirit that is at work. It's because of the Word of God. It's because of the prayers of God's people. But I believe one of the reasons that God has blessed Lancaster Baptist Church is because for 38 years, This has been a generous church. This has been a church that has sought to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether a bus child whose dad is incarcerated and whose mom has no car, whether a missionary giving his life in Africa, 
Whether someone in need or someone who's just never heard the gospel, we have been doing our best to see the need and take the lead. I remember when I first began here as pastor and in that first year or two, there was no salary for the pastor. There was no uh, medical insurance for our family. We were just kind of living by faith and doing our best for the Lord. And during that time, two missionaries called, and one one month and one another month, and they said, we'd like to come by and present our needs to your church. And I thought, your needs to our church? Let me present our needs to you. And uh, I was a new pastor, you know, and I just kind of thought that through. And I thought, well, that's fine. You can come by and present your needs. And lo and behold, as they presented our need, the Lord put on my heart that we should begin supporting those missionaries, that I should not wait until the church could pay us a salary, but that these missionaries had a real need. And so we began to support those two missionaries financially in those very early days. And we began to learn something found in Luke 6.38. And I put it in your notes. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. We begin to learn the reality of that verse, that as we give, God gives as well, that God blesses. Now, as we come to the book of Philippians, we're going to see this principle in great fashion. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing the book of Philippians. For those of you that know a little bit of the background of the book, you know that this is called a prison epistle. That means that he is in a Roman prison being held for the faith while he writes this letter back to the church he started in Philippi. And he is writing them to thank them for the gift that they had sent. They had sent it by way of their pastor, a pastor by the name of Epaphrodites. And uh, this pastor had been faithful to bring the gift to them. About 1,600 miles, if he would have come by land, uh, perhaps he came across uh, the Aegean Sea and, and maybe had a shorter journey. But either way, it would have been a great journey for Pastor Epaphroditus to bring the offering to the Apostle Paul. And this offering was really reflective of a church that cares and of a people that sort of got it. And the Bible tells us about that people and about that offering as we read in verse number 10. And just kind of getting the gist of it, I want you to look at verse 10 and and learn about this church at Philippi. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. I want you to say those words with me, hath flourished again. Let's say that together, hath flourished again. Uh, That is to say that their care had once again sprouted up. And like an agricultural term, uh, there, was a, uh, there was a flourishing again of their love. And here he says, I just want to thank you that your care has flourished again. I've known a lot of people whose love and care was flourishing in the 80s or in the 90s. One man I was speaking to one time about helping our college, and he began to tell me about uh, some help that he had given to a ministry 27 years before in Argentina. And I think that's great that people have given in the past, but I think it's even greater when we're still growing in grace and when we're still caring enough to flourish again and to flourish again. And that is the mark 
of Christian maturity. And I believe we see it here with the church at Philippi. My granddad always had some very basic counsel he'd give me from time to time. And one time he said, Paul, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you're going to be able to know a man's character by looking at his checkbook ledger. And when you look at your checkbook ledger, you kind of figure out what matters most to you. Amazon, 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 or Costco or Costco or, you know, food or whatever it is. But hopefully when you look at your checkbook ledger, you see Jesus. And sometimes remembering what my granddad said, I'll step back and I'll look at my checkbook ledger and make sure that Lancaster Baptist is in there enough, make sure that there's some things happening there that are to help other people. And if you were to look at the checkbook ledger of the church at Philippi, you would have seen missions, you would have seen the work of God helping, and especially in this case, the Apostle Paul. And so he is going to commend them for their care. Now this morning I want to share with you how you can know a caring church how you can identify and how we can be a caring church. First of all, you know a caring church because their giving is recognized. Their giving is recognized. Paul is recognizing it here as he writes to them in verse 10. And he's saying that you have flourished again. And he says in verse 14, notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. We notice here that they have, first of all, a flourishing care. If you're taking notes, the word care means an intense interest. It means that they were concerned enough to send their pastor 1,600 miles to help the missionary. I would say that's some care right there. They were very concerned that the gospel was given out in the city of Rome. And it says here that their care hath flourished again. It is an agricultural term, anathalo. It means to sprout again or to grow green again. Uh, one of my favorite flowers is the tulip. How many of you have little tulip balls somewhere in your yard, even as we speak? Anybody else? Am I the only one? Come on, no one else has. All right, some of you deadbeats, go to Lowe's, buy a tulip ball, plant it this week. You probably got a car parked on your front yard, too. I don't know, but I'm telling you, uh, I like to plant those tulip balls in my yard there and what I like about tulips is that every year, right when it just starts to get warm enough, normally just before Easter, they just come back up. They flourish again. They flourish again. And I'll tell you what, I love to see the color of those tulips. And what I love about them is that annually they flourish. The little balls in the ground and annually. You don't have to go plant them again. Now I'll tell you what, I've got some dandelions in my lawn right now. I hate dandelions. I'm going to kill them first chance I get. I'm going to buy some, some kind of fertilizer. Dandelions do not bless my soul when they pop up. But tulips, they bless my soul. They're beautiful. And they remind me of the faithfulness of God. And they remind me of faithful Christians who flourish again and flourish again. Paul said to the church at Philippi, when I think of you and your generosity, your care has flourished Again, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul could say, you know, I didn't have to wonder about your love. I didn't have to wonder, Philippi, if you cared for me. Your care was ever flourishing because you are an ever-loving church and you have been involved in this ministry. So many times people get this matter of giving so backwards. I heard about a father who was playing store with his son in the backyard and 
they uh, had gathered some things up, and so the son was the storekeeper, and he had a pair of binoculars on his counter, and the dad said, okay, I'll buy those binoculars. They were his anyways, but he said, I'll buy those binoculars. He said, I'll give you five cents for those binoculars, and the little boy said, dad, we're playing store, not church. By the way, may our children see our faith. May our faith say that we love Jesus. May our faith say that we love the souls of men. This was a flourishing care. But as you look at this recognition, it's also recognized as a faithful care. This was a church that faithfully was involved. Notice if you would in verse 10, the the words, it says, Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. In other words, they wanted to help even more But being 1,600 miles away, they didn't always have the opportunity, but they were careful. And if you want to know what the word careful means, just flip it backwards and it says full of care or full of concern. And Paul said, you know, you were really concerned about me. You were faithfully concerned for the work of God. One author said, ministry takes place when divine resources flow through human channels to the glory of God. The divine resources, everything that we have is from God. And ministry takes place when it flows through us and so that God's work goes forward for His glory. This was a flourishing care. It was a faithful care. And then thirdly, this was a financial care. As the Apostle Paul is recognizing what they did, he recognizes that it was a financial care as well. Now look at verse 14. It says, Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now notice that word communicate. And if you like to take notes or circle words, it is the word koinoneo, which means to be in communion with. It means to have fellowship with, especially to share financially a gift that is contributed. So we see that this kind of communication was not just like communication today like you see somebody in the store go hey how's it going that's how people communicate today what's up that's how they communicate but this is more than what's up communication means I love you I'm for you I'm giving to meet your need I am fellowshipping with you that is to say That as we support missionaries in Africa who preach the gospel, we are literally communicating and communing with them. We are with them, and when those souls are saved, we have a part in that work. This was the level of communication. It wasn't just a check written, but it was a heart given, and we see it was a financial care. Acts 20 and verse 35, I have showed you in all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this was the spirit of the Philippians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be an equality. In other words, God is looking for people with a willing mind who will do their equal share so that all of the need might be met. And that's what Philippi had done. And that's why their giving was recognized. God 
says, your care has flourished again and again. And you have communicated well. You didn't just see the Apostle Paul and go, what's up? But you gave to the Apostle Paul. You really communicated. He never had to wonder where your heart was. First of all, we see giving is recognized in Scripture. Secondly, giving is remembered in the Scripture. Giving is remembered. A church that cares is a church that is remembered. Now notice this, if you would, in verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity." Now, Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And so here we see that this giving is remembered because of the love. And I want you to notice two or three things here. First, notice the purpose of their giving. Why did they give? And if you weren't careful, you missed it. Look at verse 15 again. It says, now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, all right, Let's say that together in the beginning of the gospel. Ready, begin. In the beginning of the purpose of their giving was the gospel. Paul was a missionary starting churches. And as he left Philippi, it was the beginning of the gospel. And they were involved in giving and receiving. And the purpose of giving is the gospel. The church understood right away, this is awesome. We were lost and on our way to hell. We have our sins now forgiven. And we have the hope of heaven. We want Paul to tell that to other people. And so it was the beginning of the gospel, the death burial and resurrection and they were giving it wasn't as if Paul was over in Rome checking out the architecture he was there sharing Christ in that Roman prison he was there as a representative of Jesus Christ oh it's so important that we understand the purpose of giving is the gospel notice in Philippians 1 12 it says but I would that ye should understand brethren the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel so that my my bonds in Christ are manifested in all the palace. In other words, even in Rome, even in prison, it was for the furtherance of the gospel. Friend, when this life is over, the question will not be, how, how much have you gotten? The question will be, how much have you given? And this Philippian church was a giving church. And the purpose of their giving was the gospel. They wanted others to know the gospel message. And in case you're new around here, the purpose of this building, the purpose of this pulpit, the purpose of this amplification system is that we might preach Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and invite men and women and boys and girls to turn to Jesus Christ, lest they spend eternity without Him. This building is all about the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The other day I was walking through this building and I, I snapped a picture of something some of you may have seen. There it is. Some churches have statues, we have trash cans. Anybody want to guess why those three trash cans were over there? Rain. That's right. Water. And there are several spots around this auditorium where water is caught when their storms come. 
And what we're simply saying as we gather together next Sunday is we want to have a place where there's not these types of distractions. That's why we're putting in the LED lights so that there uh, will be faithful lighting and so that the sound system will be upgraded and, and the baptistry changing rooms enlarged and more restrooms in the back for the choir and for visitors and all of these things being done in order that we might further the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always bear that in mind. Why are we giving? We're giving so the gospel goes out with great clarity. But notice, secondly, not only the purpose of giving, notice the priority of giving. Now, look at how the church at Philippi made this a priority. It says in verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, look at this, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Amazing. The church at Philippi made giving a priority. The church at Philippi had an immediate heart to help. They uh, communicated with him, verse 15 says. And concerning communication or giving, it was a priority with them. Jerry Vines wrote of this passage, The apostle does not mean simply that it was a joint contribution on their part, but that they joined with him, making his affliction their own. You see... When someone communicates at this level, they are joining in the ministry with the missionary. May I put it in practical terms? I believe from the depth of my heart that those who are involved in the offering to help with this preaching station where I now stand, that when people come to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, even if you're not the one leading them to Christ, you are having a part in that spiritual transaction because you have contributed, because you are communicating. Our giving doesn't save anyone's soul. We're not implying that. But we are facilitating that message going out so that someone might receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. A mother was preparing some pancakes for her sons, Kevin and Ryan. Kevin was five, Ryan was three. They were arguing over who should get the first pancake. You know, we really shouldn't argue, but how many of you would say, when it comes to pancakes, you know, sometimes you've got to put a word in. And they were arguing over who was going to get the first pancake. Their mother saw it as a great opportunity, and so she said, boys, she said, if Jesus was sitting right here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. Kevin thought about that, and he said, Okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot of Baptists that are willing to let their brother take the lead in giving. A lot of people willing to say, let someone else do that. But the Philippians said, no, no, we want to have a part in this. We, we want to be a part of this. We want, to, we want to help the Apostle Paul. We wouldn't even be saved if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. We want him to tell that to the next city and the next city. And I want to encourage you today with this question. How is your giving communicating? The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 16, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices is God well pleased. Galatians 6.6 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all things. So the purpose of giving is the gospel. The priority of giving was very, very big to the Philippian church. Notice thirdly in your notes, the persistence of their giving. Now the Bible says in verse 16, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Paul 
received the offering at Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. They sent once and again, once and again. Now again, their care was flourishing. They gave for the offering to the saints at Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is speaking about the churches of Macedonia, which includes Philippi. And the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. In other words, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, Hey, let me tell you about those people at Philippi. They didn't have much. They were in deep poverty. But they were so happy to give. They made giving such a big priority in their life. Oh, what a blessing that we can be involved in something so great. Why? Because giving is recognized in Scripture. Giving is remembered in Scripture. Notice thirdly today, giving is rewarded in Scripture. Now this message really finishes strong, so don't miss anything these next 10 minutes or so. I want you to follow this. It's awesome. Look at verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul said, all right, don't get this wrong. I know what people are going to say. Oh, that church wants his money. Oh, that preacher wants his money. Paul said, time out. It's not that I desire a gift. That's not what this is about. He said, it's really about my heart for you. I desire fruit that might abound to your account. So giving is rewarded. It is, first of all, producing fruit to their account. This speaks of eternal fruit or eternal dividends, if you will. Paul said, there is going to be an eternal remembrance of what you give. In the stock market, of which I'm not an expert, but there are some stocks that pay dividends. And every once in a while, a company might do really well, and suddenly they'll announce to their shareholders, we're going to pay a 2% dividend once a year. And all the shareholders are happy, and that means that from then on, every year, they get 2% of whatever they had invested. God's Word says that there will be fruit abounding to our account. And it won't be a 5%. It, it is something that has an eternal nature. It was eternal fruit to their account. It was an abundance of fruit to their account. Notice that in verse 17. It says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. This is a superabundance. This is an increase. And one of the great joys of giving financially through the local church is the eternal benefit of the dividend spiritually. Not that I desire a gift. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And I'm going to tell you something. Someone might say to you, well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure glad I invested in Apple when it was $5 a share. I'm sure glad I invested in this or with that. Boy, wouldn't that have been great. I'll tell you what I'm most thankful for. Every single dollar I have invested in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it abounds super abundantly. It is a gift that abounds and abounds spiritually to your account. And one day, you and I will be rewarded according to our faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. When you are faithful to the Lord, you can know this, that you will be rewarded according to that faithfulness. It produced fruit to their account. But let me share something else. Not only was this eternal dividend something that was real and something that will be remembered, but secondly, it pleased the Lord. 
What these Philippians did when their care flourished, it really pleased God. Now, I don't think anyone is in here today just for a game. There might be a couple fellas in here just to please their wife. Might be a couple people because the judge told you to come. I don't know. I think most people are here because you want to please the Lord. I mean, I, I don't think most of us are playing a game. I think most of us love Jesus today. So let me show you how this ties in. Notice what verse 18 says. Paul says, I have all, and I abound, I am full. I've received from Epaphroditus the things which you sent. Now look at what he refers to this offering as. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The offerings that they had sent were well-pleasing to God. Now someone says, well, I... I'm saved by grace. I don't have to do anything to get to heaven, just believe on Christ. And theologically, that's true. But if you are saved by grace, then you want to live in such a way to say thank you to the Lord Jesus and to please the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that this offering, first of all, was a, it was a sweet sacrifice. It had an odor of a sweet smell, like, like the offerings of the Old Testament, Numbers 15, 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land of your habitations, which I give unto you, and I will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, and, and burnt offering, or a sacrifice in performing a vow, or in a freewill offering, or in a solemn feast to make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd of the flock. In other words, he said, when you come into the promised land, I, I want you of your own free will, not the tithe, but of a free will, I want you to make an offering that will be a sweet-smelling offering, a pleasing offering to the Lord. And this is what Paul describes Philippians' offering as. He said, it wasn't just some duty you performed. It was sweet to me because it was of your own free will. It was something you did from love. It was something you did so that other people could hear about Jesus. And this was sweet to God. And this pleased God. And oh, that we would understand the joy of this. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And boy, that Philippian church, they were the joyful church. And they were just so happy that they could give. And I'm going to tell you what, next Sunday morning as we give in the offering, and next Sunday night as we give and count the offering, the happiest night of the year at Lancaster Baptist Church is when, like the Philippian church, we're just given to the Lord of our own free will, and He is well pleased, and we're singing, To God be the glory. Hey, the only folks that aren't happy are the folks that didn't get involved. But when you get involved, there is great joy in the heart of a giving person. It's joyful to give to the Lord. There are three kinds of giving, grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. The grudge giver says, I have to do it. The duty giver says, well, I ought to do it. The thanks giver says, I get to do it. I get to tell my Lord how much I love him. I get to advance the gospel. It was a sweet sacrifice. Verse 18 says, it was an acceptable sacrifice. You see, as believers, we can bring sacrifices to the Lord. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, we are a holy priesthood and we bring spiritual sacrifices. Now, my wife was raised for a time as a Catholic. And as a Catholic girl, she saw people going into the confessional booth and telling the priest their sins. And as Baptists, we don't do that because we believe that the only one who can forgive sin is Jesus himself. 
Don't come confessing your sin to me. I mean, I'll give you some biblical counsel, but I can't forgive your sin. So we do not practice this idea that some man is the person that we pray to. In fact, the Bible says that we are an holy priesthood. We are believer priests. That is to say, we can offer sacrifices directly to Jesus Christ. And they are well-pleasing to him when we come to him. I've given you four that you can bring to Jesus in your notes there. You can bring the sacrifice of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Hey, let me encourage you this week. Praise the Lord. Someone says you did a good job at work. Praise the Lord. You wake up tomorrow morning, the sun shining. Praise the Lord. You wake up tomorrow and see your children healthy. Praise the Lord. Listen, you can offer praise. When we sing to the Lord in church, we're praising the Lord. As believer priests, we're singing directly to the Lord. Secondly, we can bring our prayers to the Lord. I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions be made for all men. I don't have to go to ask someone else to pray for me. I can ask them to pray with me, but I can bring my prayers directly to the Lord. Listen, I can offer my person unto the Lord, myself. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Hey, you can start tomorrow morning and say, good morning, Lord. Today I want to offer you my whole self. I want you to use me. I want my feet to go where you want them to go. I want my hands to do what you want them to do. I want my mouth to say what you want it to say. I want my eyes to see what you want them to see. Lord, I love you. You died for me on the cross. I offer myself to you today. You can give your life to the Lord. And then you can give your finance to the Lord. You can give your possessions to the Lord. Verse 18 tells us this, that it was well-pleasing to God, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, to do good and communicate, forget not. Now, how do we give our possessions to the Lord? There were three ways we've learned in the Scripture these last few weeks, and as we conclude this series, let's be reminded of them. First of all, there is the regular tithe. That is the, the first part, the 10%. And this is something that next week on the commitment card, we're going to have a little place to check for those of you that are just beginning to tithe. This is the first step in your stewardship journey, and, and thank God He's working grace in your heart. And the Bible says in Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. You've heard of the Pepsi challenge. This is the God challenge. Prove me. Just see how I'll take care of you, God says. A few years ago, there were these studies in demographics between, they were comparing San Franciscans to South Dakotans. And they wanted to know how they did in charitable giving. And they found out that both groups, the citizens of San Francisco and the citizens of South Dakota, gave about 13% of their income to charitable giving. The only, excuse me, they gave $1,300 to charitable giving annually. The only difference was that the San Franciscans made nearly twice the money of the South Dakotans. So in reality, they gave twice less than what the South Dakotans gave. And someone asked a bank manager in South Dakota, how is it that the South Dakotans have given so much more? And he said, it is because we in South Dakota, we go to church, 50% of us go to church, less than 10% of San Franciscans go to church. And he said, we were taught as children to tithe. It was a basic thing to learn that when you get paid, the first part is the Lord's. Proverbs 3.10, the tithe 
is the Lord's. And so that's the first thing we've learned. The tithe is the Lord's. The, the second way that we're able to give to the Lord is through our missions giving. 2 Corinthians 8, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Randy Alcorn said, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And so, after we learn how to tithe, many of us then give to missions, and missions works, as the Apostle Paul has been mentioned by the church at Philippi, supporting him. And then the third thing that we've learned the last few weeks is that sometimes God's people gave for structures or places of worship like the temple, 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 6, then the chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of the hundreds with rulers of the king's work offered willingly and they offered their gold and their silver and they raised up the temple as a place of worship. And all of this giving, according to the word of God, is rewarded by God. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And i got to tell you something. Around here, when people are being saved and baptized, and missionaries are out seeing people saved and baptized, those of us that are giving, there is fruit to our account. And that's a hallelujah thought to me, to know that God is at work. Giving is recognized in the Bible. Giving will be remembered and is remembered by God. Giving is rewarded, fruit to our account. And i got one more thing. It gets gooder and gooder. We're almost done. But you got to hear this. you got to hear it. Giving is replenished in the Bible. Giving is replenished in the Bible. Look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All right? Find verse 19. We're going to read it. Some of us got to get it from our head down to our heart. So let's read verse 19. Ready? Begin. But my God shall supply all your need... Now, I like this part. Paul says, my God. Would you say that with me? My God. Now, Paul, the apostle who was saved on the road to Damascus, Paul, the apostle who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul, the apostle who saw God deliver him in Malta and who saw God deliver him in Rome and from place to place as he journeyed along, says, my God. He said, I, I want you to know on the word of my God, He's going to provide all of your needs. Now, first of all, this need, this provision, it is a provision in this life. It doesn't say your greeds, but it does say your needs. He says, I'm going to take care of the needs in this life. And secondly, the provision is according to his supply. Verse 19 says, he's going to supply your need according to his riches in glory. That is to say, someone might say, well, pastor, now, I gave a lot back in the 90s, but i got to really be careful now. Oh, as if to say that God doesn't have enough provision to take care of you now. The same God that took care of you in the 90s can take care of you in 2024. Somebody say amen. amen. It's according to his provision. It's like the woman in 2 Kings chapter 4 who saw the oil, the barrels of oil. They just kept giving oil and giving oil and giving oil. It's like the little lad who gave the loaves and the fishes and they said, Lord, we've given, we've distributed it, but there's still some left over. Why? Because it's according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Giving is replenished. The first one to ever get saved in my family was my granddad. His name was Paul Brian Chapel. And he never went to school past the eighth grade. He just, that's kind of how farming is. You know what I mean? You just start farming and you're farming now. So he never really went to church or school much after that. 
never went to church at all. He went to one faith healing crusade once with his sister who had cancer. They wouldn't even talk to them, and it just turned him away from church. But one day, as he was on his tractor, he was coming down the row, plowing his field. And, and our family farm back there, I mean, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes you might see two cars in a whole day, maybe. And somebody drives their car out to the property, and they park at the edge of his field. And so when someone does that, you figure it must be sort of important. And he jumped off his tractor, and he began to talk to this man. And the man's name, for whatever reason, was Pop Kinney. That was his name. Pop Kinney. Turns out he'd gone to a Bible college for one year to learn how to be a better witness, and God burdened his heart just to go from farm to farm to farm in the West. So there he was at the end of the row waiting for my granddad, and he did that several times until finally my granddad heard the gospel, realized he was a sinner, and right over the tire of that John Deere tractor, he prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Well, my granddad, he got so excited after he was saved. I mean, he, just, he was so glad his sins were forgiven, so glad he had a home in heaven. It just, it just excited him. I mean, he started reading the book of Romans, which I'm preaching tonight, by the way, verse by verse. We're going through a series. He, he got so excited about Romans, he memorized most of the book. And if you ever got in the pickup truck with him, just get ready because he's going to start quoting it to you. And he got so excited and joyful about Romans, he'd be quoting Romans, and all of a sudden he'd slap his thigh, and he'd say, Woohoo! Isn't that good, Paul? And oh, yeah, and it, yeah. I'd always say, It sure is. Granted. And if I wasn't sounded, sounding excited enough about it, he'd slap me on the leg to make sure I stayed awake. You know, he just loved the book of Romans. My granddad got so excited about being saved, he lost his interest in farming. It just, farming was okay, but telling people about Jesus was really what life was all about now. He started Bible study in his house, led his neighbors to the Lord. They started a little church, still existent, right outside of Cortez, Colorado. Somewhere in his mid-50s, he just kind of gave the farm to my uncle. He started going up to Moab, Utah, a little Mormon town. Going up to Moab, just knocking on doors up there and talking to... He, he figured out the Mormon's idea of Jesus was different than the Bible's idea, and he began telling them how they needed to be saved. And he started witnessing and witnessing in that city. After time, he led many dozens of these people to the Lord, and he took from his own retirement fund, and he built the Moab Baptist Church. And Moab Baptist Church, still standing, the pastor's a wonderful man, sent his son to West Coast Baptist College. My very first sermon to real live adults, I preached at the Moab Baptist Church. It scared me half to death. Some of you would never believe that, but it was true. And I said to my uncle, I said, what should I preach? And he said, well, Paul, you never go wrong preaching Jesus. <laughs> and I preached the gospel message. And I remember trying to figure out when I was about 19, how did granddad stop working and just come up here? They don't pay him for this. He built the church. How's he going to make it? How's, how's grandma going to make it? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand how this is going to work. And somehow my granddad didn't seem too worried about it. By the way, when my grandmother went to heaven a few years ago at around age 100, she was still being cared for by what my granddad had left for her. Though he had taken hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this church. I got to tell you something. My granddad, after he passed away, a new pastor came to the church. Every year he sends me the annual report from the Moab Baptist Church. 
He sent it to me this past week, and I open it up, and it tells about things happening at the church. And it said that this past year, I believe it was 37 people accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he said to me, he said, Pastor Chapel, I know you loved your granddad. He said, I just want you to know that he, being dead, yet speaketh. Some of you might say, well, I might not even be here 25 years from now, but if the Lord has not tarried and people are still getting saved in this building, you will never regret what you give to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got my granddad's hat right here. My grandmother gave it to me. He loved this hat. I tried to put it on, but it wouldn't fit. My head's too big. You tell that to all your friends. He <laughs> didn't leave me much physically. But what he left me spiritually, the testimony that he taught me about what matters most is a legacy that I will never forget. And I want to encourage you from the church at Philippi. I want to encourage you to be a people that flourish again and again. It is so wonderful that even after this life, it can flourish for the glory of God so that our children and grandchildren will never have to wonder who we loved or what we loved. They'll always know that Jesus Christ was first with us.